What's going on, man? Welcome back to the basement. Omron, it's 10.30 p.m. right now. It's grind time. It's scary season. It's scary hours. It's August. I am August. I have never been more motivated to give you guys the best possible content that I can create. Hard Knocks is happening right now. It's late at night on a Tuesday, and I don't care. I've been doing research all day. We've been going down rabbit holes. And you guys have been absolutely loving these in-depth research videos where we posted a video where we looked at league-winning wide receivers. You guys absolutely blew it up. 26,000 views in two days. The algorithm has been crazy. You guys have been crazy recently. So I have no choice but to give you guys more. So we're going to do another in-depth research video today. And I wanted to focus on the dead zone. We've been saying all offseason, or pretty much like the last couple weeks, fade the dead zone. But... That doesn't mean I'm taking zero running backs in rounds four through six in the dead zone, right? Only a Sith deals in absolutes, as a wise man once said. And, you know, we saw last year, Josh Jacobs was drafted in the dead zone last year, and he absolutely crushed. So it's not this hard and fast rule where you can't draft running backs in rounds four through six, but we have to be very selective. So what I want to do today is look in the past find out what running backs actually worked out in the dead zone and then work backwards from there and, you know, eliminate some candidates from the pool. We're going to talk through five running backs I'm not drafting in the dead zone and then also highlight some running backs in the dead zone that I think are probably fine to take some swings on when the wide receiver value runs out. So with all that being said, if you enjoy this video, make sure down below, subscribe, leave a like. Let's go. Now, we've gone into depth on the RB dead zone pretty much the last week or so, but I got no problem brushing up on the dead zone. For anybody that's sort of new to either the channel or the video today, we've been getting a lot of new viewers, so I might as well cater to you guys. Now, when we talk about the running back dead zone. This is a, an area from rounds four through six that has historically been a bad spot to take running backs. Now, running backs are often hurt. They have short primes. We've been seeing it with Todd Gurley and the money stuff that's going on right now. The only reason to draft a running back is to take a 20-plus point-per-game running back that has that league-winning upside and take on all that risk of injury, of contract holdouts, of just falling off the age cliff like a Todd Gurley. We saw it like 26. Again, the reason is 20-plus points per game. Having a monstrous running back season is a huge help to your team, but chasing those running backs, taking on that risk, and chasing them into rounds four through six, hoping for one of those crazy league winners, it's a bad bet. We see here running back, you know, 25, 20 plus point per game running backs in round one since 2010, then six in the second round, then three in the third round. They're at least there. From rounds four through six, all you have is Fred Jackson in 2011 since 2010. That's it. We're on the other side. You have Cooper Cup and Debo Samuel. I think Brandon Marshall was one too. You have a lot of wide receivers in that rounds four through six range that end up being league winners. Even just last year, not even 20 plus points per game, but Amon Ross St. Brown was still great. Jalen Waddle was great. There were a lot of really good picks to make in that range. Now you might say, Ron, what if I'm not shooting for ceiling? Well, you should be because running backs are, are risky. You should be shooting for ceiling if you're taking on the risk, right? You want the reward to outweigh the risk that you're taking on. But if you're just shooting for a median outcome, even then, it's still a pretty rough bet to make. Where if we look at FFPC best ball win rate since 2017, we can see running backs are worse across the board here on this right-hand side uh, of the chart. And in a given league, right, you have a 1 divided by 12 chance of winning it all, one in every 12 teams. That's 8.3%. 
And when we divide up the wide receivers and running backs into buckets of an under 5% win rate, so that's like really bad. That's a, essentially a bust. 8.3% win rate or better. That's like, you know, just returning value, just being a fine pick in fantasy football. And then 15% plus win rate is like a league winning season. And we can see across the board, right? Running back has a higher bust rate. It has a lower returning on that average cost of 8.3%, right? 35.4% of running backs are fine picks, whereas 50% of wide receivers are fine picks. And then on top of that, wide receivers are producing more league winners in this range comparatively to running backs. So running backs are giving you more risk and there's not a reward on top to sort of outweigh that. So we can see the RB dead zone is very much a real thing. From rounds four through six, since 2017, running back has been a bad bet in this area. Now, I think that some of you guys are going to say, I've been getting comments saying, Ron, best ball data, who cares? Best ball win rate, to me, is the best way to sort of look at macro trends when it comes to fantasy football. Because in these leagues, everybody is 18 plus or 21 plus in those states. And they have money on the line. And they're serious about fantasy football. When you look at like ESPN leagues, you can just hop on ESPN right now and do a free league. There's so much free leagues in their data pool, and you don't really know what's a free league, how old users are. There's so much noise in that data. At least this way, you can extrapolate from a macro perspective from thousands of leagues with actual money on the line, and that's really valuable. Now, of course, it's not a direct apples-to-apples comparison, but you can extract the principles and apply it to your home league. So when we talk about the dead zone, we still do have you know those 3.1% league winners. right? We had Josh Jacobs last year. And again, I'm not a sift or sith. I'm not dealing in absolutes. I'm drafting running backs in four through six when I have to. And everyone has the right price. I'm not one to dig my heels in and be stubborn and start reaching on wide receivers. You guys know I let the draft room come to me. So if you're going to look at running backs in the dead zone, or you probably should regardless because you're going to get to a spot in the draft where wide receivers are drying up and it's time to take a swing on one of these guys in the dead zone. So this year... When we're drafting in the dead zone, I think it's important to kind of pick out what those success stories look like. So I identified a successful dead zone running back as a running back taken rounds four through six with 12 or more points per game. That's at least like, that's pretty much RB2 production or better and a 9.3% win rate or better. Now I could have used just like 8.3% or better or like 10% or better. 9.3%, a full percent above 8.3% is at least like, this is clearly a good pick. Now, if we did 10% or better, there's literally not enough. There's like nine running backs in that sample. It's not a big enough sample. So we're using this since 2017. We have 16 such seasons. Again, taking rounds four through six since 2017, 12 points per game or more, and a 9.3% win rate or better. And you get this list of players since 2017. I ordered them by PPR points per game. And this is a complicated screenshot, but let's sort of break it down a little bit. We have first the blue sort of table, player info, where that is a player, you know, the player's name, of course, the season, the team, their age, ADP, points per game, win rate, all of that good stuff. And when I look through, age stood out. You know, with RBs in the dead zone, we'd like them to be young. We want young backs with juice. Across the bottom as well, you'll see average, right? So the average successful running back uh, in the dead zone, 24.8 is their age. Now we go over to volume. I have weighted opportunities, which weights uh, targets over carries and then targets per game. We essentially want a running back that can get volume, score points, and we want that pass-catching upside to sort of unlock that next level. And then you have team environment, which is this kind of like orange table where we have offensive points for where you want a good offense, right? We want touchdowns. We want efficiency. And then 
did you have a good offensive line? Now, it says PFF plus FO offline average. That sounds pretty crazy, but all it is is uh, PFF and Football Outsiders, their offensive line rankings, and I just did an average of them both to not really, you know, prefer one or the other. Keep it more broad in terms of just, you know, taking everybody's opinions when it comes to offensive line. Ideally, you want a good offensive line, right, for efficiency, moving the pile, everything. And then this is what I found most important. And if you take away one thing from this video, I hope it's this miscellaneous column or miscellaneous table. And I wanted to track teammate ADP. So I found the running back in their backfield with the highest ADP, and we wrote it down. And when you look here, 70 or no, 81% of the field had a running back in the same backfield drafted inside of the top 12 rounds of fantasy drafts. And it's going to sound weird that you want a running back in the same backfield to be drafted highly when we're attacking these running backs in the dead zone, but it makes sense. We want crowded backfields. This means that their price is discounted due to uncertainty in an ambiguous backfield, and that means that there's a lot of high upside there, right? If you're in the dead zone and you're in an empty backfield and you don't have a ADP inside the top three rounds, it means that you're just a dead zone running back propped up by projected volume, right? These are your Mike Davis, Alex Collins, Thomas Rawls, Isaiah Crowell, all of these guys propped up by volume and volume alone. They don't have a prior success or track record. They don't have anybody challenging them in that backfield. And yet still, you don't have to spend a premium pick on them. And that usually means that they're just a projected volume, empty volume back. And those are the guys you want to be avoiding, right? When we look at kind of the success stories here, Josh Jacobs, of course, had Zamir White, so that wasn't really anything. But David Montgomery had 17.7 points per game in a season where Tariq Cohen was drafted inside the top 100 picks next to him. You had uh, Mark Ingram in 2017 with Adrian Peterson there. You had Chris Carson in 2019 with Rashad Penny there. You had just a bunch of success stories. DeAndre Swift in 2020 had Carrion Johnson. Christian McCaffrey had Jonathan Stewart. Kareem Hunt in 2020 had Nick Chubb as a second-round pick in that same offense. James White had Sony Michelle as a top-four-round pick as well. Derrick Henry, his first year ever actually really being on the map. Deion Lewis was a top five round pick. So you almost want to lean in to these crowded backfields where it's more of a mystery because if you were to remove that guy from the backfield, then this player would probably be a top three round pick. Whereas the other ones where it's just projected volume, those guys have everything going right for them and they're still not premium picks, which is usually a pretty big warning. Now, again, average across the bottom, the average success story in the dead zone is about 24, 25 years old, averages about 15 points per game has about 3.8 targets per game, about 13.5 weighted opportunities per game, has about 24 to 25 points on their offense. They have about a top 15 offensive line, and their teammate is picked inside of the top 110 picks. That's just on average. So just in terms of like what it kind of looks like from a granular perspective, but I think something that's a little bit more simple to break it down is I sort of looked through, spotted these trends, and then I came up with six components of a successful dead zone running back. So again, this, a successful dead zone running back is a running back drafted rounds four through six, has a 9.3% or better win rate, and a 12 plus points per game. And I sort of broke down six components that cover 75% or more of the population here. And we can see 81% have a teammate with an ADP inside of the top 12 rounds. 80% have a top 20 offensive line average of established run and PFF. Or before it was PFF and Football Outsiders, but for projection's sake, I used established run and PFF just to have two different sites. Uh, you, have, you want 23-plus points per game, so you just, you just want a good offense, 12-plus weighted opportunities per game, 3-plus targets per game, and 26 years 
or younger. I meant to write younger. Hold on. All right. So it's late and I'm being an idiot. I wrote younger. I just read it as older, but 26 years old or younger, 75% of the population. So now we're going to apply this to 2023 and we're going to go round four, round five, round six based on underdog ADP. Now, of course, if you're new here, make sure you check out underdog fantasy, use promo code Ron. When you sign up there, they have best bullies going on all the time. And they actually have probably the best dead zone ADP where all of the running backs sort of suppress. So you can see, you know, let's say, for example, Aaron Jones is a fifth round pick there. Aaron Jones and your homie is going to be a fourth round pick. So you almost just knowing the prices on underdog, you're almost going to just like subconsciously be avoiding the dead zone, pushing up wide receivers, rookie wide receivers like JSN's going in the fifth, Jordan Addison's going in the sixth. I can guarantee in your homie you're going to get those guys in like the seventh and eighth round. Just check it out. There's real money on the line. The ADP is as sharp as ever. You can check out, you know, ESPNs and Yahoo's, their ADPs are all over the place. You have like Elijah Moore inside the top 120 picks. You have rookies all over the place. You have Kamara pushed up because they don't really care about suspension. It's a mess. Get your real practice in on Underdog Fantasy. They have a bunch of low stakes contests. You can go out there, mess around for like $5, $10 a piece, and just get a nice look at kind of what you should be doing from each draft spot and just get a feel for what draft rooms look like in 2023. So again, I'll have a link in the description, comment section down below. You click it, it'll take you to Underdog Fantasy. It'll use promo code RON. It will match your deposit up to $100. Now, when we talk about round four here, we have some candidates. Again, I sort of applied this to uh, round four, round five, round six, and then a couple of like extra guys I wanted to mention as well. And here, the important thing to note is we have Mike Clay's projection as the asterisk, right? So 23 plus offensive points per game, 12 plus weighted opportunities per game, three plus targets per game. That's all from Mike Clay's projections. He does it on ESPN. I take it from there. They're free. He's a very nice, he's really good at projections and it's really conservative from a macro perspective. There's not a lot of biases in there. I think it's just a nice baseline to start from. And then the rest, of course, we have teammate with uh, ADP inside the top 12 rounds. That's pretty self-explanatory. Uh, top 20 offensive lineups with the average of established run on PFF's uh, preseason rankings. And then of course, age. Now the simple score, it's just very simple. Of these six components, if you get a green box, that's one, right? So Jameer Gibbs gets all of them, gets six. Weighted score is a little bit different, where instead of you getting one for each, it's dependent on the uh, percentage, right? So uh, Jameer Gibbs having Montgomery go in the seventh round, that's 8.1. Then having the fourth best offensive line, that's eight or 8.0. Then 24.5 points per game uh, for his offense, 8.0. So 8.0 is 7.5, 7.5, 7.5. And then it's just a way of kind of weighting things based on their percentages. So when we look here, the guy who stands out as a do not draft candidate is Joe Mixon. He stands out as a clear avoid for me. We haven't really talked about him since it's like he was like maybe going to get suspended, but it seems like he's not going to now. And that's kind of a red flag here where his suspension, like he's going to play week one at this point. He was the RB7 in points per game last year. He was the RB5 before that. And somehow he is a fourth round pick as the RB15 off the board in his first year without Samaj P. Ryan. All of those things should have him as like a second round pick at this point. And he's even going 42nd on sleeper. So don't tell me this is an underdog thing. He is unanimously not an RB1 outside of the top three rounds. And there is some merit to the wisdom of the crowds, right? Again, he's in the perfect spot on this Bengals offense and he's not being drafted highly. And that should sound alarms in our head where this feels like a guy who's kind of starting to go down the path of an Ezekiel Elliott where you know he's going to be turning 27 years old this year by the way the ages I use for these are based on pro football references age that they're going to have for this upcoming season so 
it's not their age right now. It's what PFF or it's what Pro Football Reference is going to have as the age uh, for this upcoming season. And when you look at Mixon, he's not been very good these last couple of years. Last year, he was third in expected points per game. So expected points per game is just based on your carries, your attempts. How many points per game should you be scoring? His expected points per game was 18. He was at minus 0.8 FPOE per game. So he was underperforming his expected output in a really good offense where he caught more passes than he's ever caught this year. And he was still inefficient. He has never ranked inside the top 15 running backs in FPOE per game, fantasy points over expected per game. He's just never been efficient. He didn't even crack 1,000 rushing yards last year. He hasn't ranked inside of the top 20 in rushing yards over expectation per attempt since 2018. And last year, he was 47th in breakaway run rate. He was 65th in missed tackles forced per attempt, 64th in elusiveness rating, 61st in yards up to contact per attempt. It's just not good. I'm mean, like, maybe he bails you out and he scores 15 touchdowns in this offense, but I, I can't justify taking him over like Drake London and Christian Watson and Jerry Judy. And even on his platform like Sleeper, he's going right in this range next to like Calvin Ridley and Debo Samuel. I can't take him there. I know he's in a good offense. I know the offensive line's a little bit improved here, but it's a big red flag that one, again, Pirine's not there. This is a good offense. He's going to essentially play week one. And he hasn't really risen to like the third round or the second round or anything. And then on top of that, he's now 27. His handcuff, it's not an ambiguous backfield either. It's an empty backfield and he's still not pushed up. For me, I'll just invest in this passing offense, take some swings on sort of like Travion Williams uh, and like Chris Evans and guys in this backfield. To me, Mixon, very easy fade in the fourth round. Now, I will say, side note, this video is going to be focusing on the, on the fades, but I do want to say Jameer Gibbs really sticks out. Now, I think we're going to do a video on him later down the line, either like a a running back breakout video, but my goodness, this is a running back profile we want to chase. This is a young first round pick with 4-3 speed, pass catching upside. He's on a good offense with good offensive line, right? Fourth best offensive line. It's an ambiguous backfield next to David Montgomery, which again is a good thing that is pushing him into the dead zone where if Montgomery wasn't in this backfield, he would be a unanimous third round pick. He's already almost a third round pick at this point, uh, Jameer Gibbs. He just looks awesome. Again, pass catching ceiling is there. The offense is going to score points. Jared Goff is a pocket QB. Everything lines up for him to be an absolute monster. Now, again, we'll probably do like a deep dive on him sometime soon. But moving on to round five here, we have Aaron Jones, Kenneth Walker, and Alexander Madison. And this is the one round here. Don't worry, round six will kind of go back to what we've been saying or just like what this research has shown. But I'm sort of going against the research here and the study here and have Alexander Madison as my fade for round one. Now, before we talk about him, Aaron Jones is the obvious pick here, right? He's 29 years old. He's in a projectably bad offense, but I just can't count out Aaron Jones just yet. He's kind of the opposite of Joe Mixon, where he's on a bad offense, but I don't think he's fallen off yet. Again, he's old. He's 29 years old. But if we look at EPA per play and rushing yards over expected per attempt, so EPA per play or EPA per rush is expected points added. So that's on a real life football field. How much are you adding to like your win percentage and like winning games on the football field? He is still impacting games and giving you more than expected in terms of what's blocked, right? He is in this cohort here in this top right corner of Aaron Jones, Nick Chubb, Austin Eckler, Tony Pollard. That's a great list to be a part of. Also, when we talk about efficiency, Aaron Jones is through six years of his career, and he is yet to finish out to the top 15 running backs in FPOE per game. He was over two FPOE per game last year. Again, Mixon was at like minus 0.8, super inefficient. Aaron Jones is yet to have an inefficient year in his entire career which is insane. And he still has juice. He was 15th in breakaway run rate last year. He was 11th in missed tackles forced per attempt. I'm not drafting a ton of Aaron Jones, but I can't sit here and tell you that he's a must fade. Do not draft. His price is depressed from 
A.J. Dillon, which we like the ambiguity in the backfield, in a crowded backfield in the dead zone. And then also, his offense is bad, but it's an uncertainly bad offense, where Jordan Love, we haven't seen him yet. Jordan Love could come out and be serviceable and be good, and Matt LaFleur has still been a great play caller throughout his entire career. So we'll really see, when push comes to shove, what's going to happen here. I think Aaron Jones in the fifth round is fine. I will say on like sleeper and homelies, he's more of a fourth-round pick. That area, I'm still taking wide receivers. But if he falls to the fifth round... I'm fine with Aaron Jones. Again, I think that he's still talented, and before he sh- uh, until he's shown signs that he's not good, I-, I think it's unwise to fade Aaron Jones just because he is a very good football player right now, and if you like pulled GMs and players around the league, he's probably still a top 10 running back talent-wise. Now, when we talk about Alexander Madison, again, he is the clear fade uh, among all of these guys. Not so much in the research, though, where he projects well, right, where he is uh, 3.1 targets per game per Mike Clay, 13.9 weighted opportunities per game, and he's in a good offense that's projected for over 23 points per game, uh, about a middle-of-the-road offensive line, and he's under 26 years old. So why am I fading him? And to me, I think it's a clear trap that is a little bit of a flaw with this research. When you put volume-related stuff in here, you do open yourself up to target running backs that are propped up by volume, the guys who we don't want to have. And to me, Alexander Madison is your quintessential dead zone, Thomas Rawls, Isaiah Crowell, you know, Justin Forza, Alex Collins, any of these guys you want to name, Mike Davis. He is very much that guy. He's being propped up by nothing but volume in a good offense, and that is a very scary bet to be making in the fifth round. This sort of profile of, like, day two running backs, these are all of your day two running backs since 2000 with less than 40 rushing yards per game, in their first four years. He is on a list where nothing really sticks out here. He's on a list with Ronald Jones and Deonta Foreman and TJ Yeldon and Kenyon Drake and Kerryon Johnson, Darrell Henderson. Like the only hits are like, I guess Darrell Henderson has like a good season. I guess Kenyon Drake has had a good season. McKinnon last year was decent, but like none of these are really huge hits. Like we're, we're talking in the same breath as like guys like Royce Freeman uh, and Christine Michael. Like it's just not very good at all. Like very rarely does a guy get day two draft capital invested in him, show nothing through four years, and then become like a serviceable fantasy football player. So for me, I just can't do it. I think that he's a really fragile bet right now where it's all projection. You have a lot of stuff that could happen where Leonard Fournette could get signed there. Kareem Hunt, Ezekiel Elliott, they could sign a veteran. You have Ty Chandler there who could be, or Ty Chandler and Kenny Nwangwu. I, I don't know if I said that name right, but that could be squeezing him for pass catching touches, which isn't good. You have also Dwayne McBride, who was like arguably the best pure rusher in last year's class. that could be squeezing him for between the tackles touches. Again, the situation's amazing. He's rejected for volume, but we know that that type, that type of profile isn't really one that we want to be chasing. Now, moving on to our round six profiles, the research says that all these guys are kind of shaky bets. Now, K-Makers really sticks out here. He has virtually no competition. He was a league winner last year where he was like the RB5 from weeks 13 on, and he's just a six-round pick. Clay has him projected for 3.1 targets per game, but I'm taking the under. He does not have pass-catching upside. He has just 35 targets in 29 career games. It's like just over one target per game. And even if you want to give him the benefit of the doubt and give him his 35 career targets over just 14 started games in his three-year career, that's still just 2.5 targets per game, right? So we're juicing the hell out of those stats, and we're still not at three or more targets per game. And even if we want to look at last year, where he was the RB5 in points per game from weeks 13 on, he had just 12 targets over that six-game span. That's two per game. 
he just happened to lead all the running backs in touchdowns and ran hot in touchdowns over that span. It's not like this was a good offense. It's not a ton of pass catching upside here. We have question marks with Matthew Stafford. We have question marks with Cooper Cup. And even if they are healthy, this offense still might be bad. Clay has them projected for a bad uh, scoring output type of year. They also have the 29th ranked offensive line between established run and PFF. It's just all not great. We're in like year four now. There were times last year where he was getting touches over Darrell Henderson, or he was getting, you know, benched for Darrell Henderson, who's like not even really in the league right now. You have as well, like Ronnie Rivers was getting touches and Kyron Williams, like at, a, at, at the drop of a hat, Sean McVay could put somebody else out there. Now, I know that Cam Akers feels like a safe pick because it's like, what are they going to do? Put Zach Evans out there like Sony Michelle retired on them. But that is what we kind of want to run from when it comes to these dead zone backs. Again, we want there to be an ambiguous part of this backfield where there's like two guys battling it out because that at least, you know, breeds uncertainty and a lot of upside there. Cam Akers has no competition and still nobody's really excited. He's been in this spot. He was in this spot last year and it didn't pay off. It's pretty much the same price. So he's a very easy pass for me. Uh, Cam Akers. I'm not taking him at all in the sixth round. Then someone that we've been talking about recently, but I'll sort of touch on as well, is Miles Sanders. Uh, to me, clear avoid. Uh, he's propped up by volume in a bad offense here, right? 19.4 points per game uh, by Mike Clay here. He's registered for 3.6 uh, targets per game. We haven't seen him hit that since like his first or second year. He hasn't been used at all in the passing game. He was like dead last in yards per out run last year. And even if he was to get catches this year, he had 11 touchdowns last year with over 1,200 rushing yards and still barely scraped 12 points per game. So if you give him receptions, you're taking away efficiency, you're taking away touchdowns in this bad offense. To me, Miles Sanders just feels like a single and not really a home run. Like in the sixth round, especially in home leagues when you can sort of get access to like Jackson Smith, the Jigba, uh, and other like really good profiles there, even like Ayuk will fall there sometimes. Uh, I'm looking at quarterbacks there too, where like a Fields might fall or a Herbert might fall. To me, Miles Sanders in the sixth round is pretty tough. Now I will also touch on uh, Damian Pearson Dobbins look pretty shaky as well. Uh, between the two, I'd say I prefer J.K. Dobbins, just given how good this Ravens offense can be. It kind of just comes down to uh, his contract situation and, like, this weird, like, injury lingering, like, pup thing. Like, there's, like, this weird thing going on where he's, like, sitting out. Some people think it's for injury. Some people think it's for a contract. Uh, we don't know. But until that gets sorted out, uh, we're going to get a discount on him. But there's also going to be uh, a ton of risk there. Now, our last range here, I'm calling home league candidates, where I took out uh, – four running backs that were inside of the top six rounds on sleeper and kind of put them through here. And man, James Conner makes Cam Akers look like an absolute beauty of a pick. Uh, he blows away everybody in this where he is a clear do not draft James Conner. He has nothing but projected volume. He has a handcuff that's going in the 18th round. He has the 30th offensive line. Offense is going to be bad. 20.2 points per game. He's over 26 years old. All he has is weighted opportunities per game and targets per game. And that's how you know you want to be fading him. In the sixth round in a home league, he's going to be going in the sixth round in a home league. People are going to look up and say, oh, James Conner's been good the last two years. I'm going to take him here. Huge fade for me. I will say on underdog, he's like an eighth round pick. And at that price, I'll take some swings on like empty volume. No problem, because by then the wider receivers are kind of drying up. But in like the sixth, seventh round, James Conner for me, uh, just an absolute fade. Now, I will say some other notes is Rashad White does not look great here. But at least he catches passes and he's young. So I can kind of squint and see the upside. I'm not crazy about this offense with Baker Mayfield and Kyle Trask. Uh, I will say I'm not taking him in the sixth round. If it push came to shove, I would probably take him like seventh or eighth round. Uh, but he's at least somebody that I can't sit here and say like he's an absolute fade because he does kind of look like one of these backs that makes it out of the dead zone. And now I will say Javante also sticks out 
he has the same score as Jameer Gibbs going in the fourth round. But the thing about Javante is it comes down to health, right? He's coming off an absolutely brutal ACL injury. Uh, but it makes sense, right? Like, if it wasn't for that ACL injury, he should be like a third round pick. So it's just something you have to sort of weigh. Uh, the upside is clearly there, though. But if he doesn't play like over 10 games, then that's a big issue. Uh, we also have DeAndre Swift here. Well, I'll be honest with you guys. I think this made me come around on him just a little bit. I've been talking up Rashad Penny. We talked about Rashad Penny yesterday, and I still love Rashad Penny and think that Rashad Penny is a great pick. But it doesn't mean that Swift is also a bad pick, right? There's going to be a lot of points going around in this Eagles offense, right? So the Eagles are projected for 27.6 offensive points per game. They have the best offensive line in the NFL. So we probably just want any running back that's attached to this team. And as like Rashad Penny gets steamed up with like taking the one reps in practice or the reps with the ones in practice, you're going to see Swift kind of come down. And once Swift is like in the seventh, eighth round area, like he is in a lot of places, it's probably time to take some swings on Swift. The only thing that really doesn't line up for him is just the quarterback running back skill set where he's in an amazing offense. Uh, they're going to score points. They have the best offensive line out there. He's young. Really the only concern, and there's ambiguity with Rashad Penny going the ninth round as well. You kind of get that uncertainty where if like Rashad Penny wasn't there, Swift would probably be like a fourth, fifth round pick. So that's kind of a good thing. Uh, really the only thing, again, is that Jalen Hurts historically has not passed to the running back position. But also, he hasn't had a receiving weapon quite as good as DeAndre Swift. So it is kind of like, not the chicken or the egg kind of thing, but nobody really knows how it's going to play out. And I think I have to be a little bit more open-minded with that. So I will say, after doing this video, uh, I think we're going to be moving up. Uh, Jameer Gibbs and DeAndre Swift will be moving up the rankings. I think Mixon and Cam Akers are going to be dropping. So again, five running backs are fading in the dead zone for sure. James Conner, Alexander Madison, Cam Akers, Miles Sanders and Joe Mixon. Now, if you want access to the rankings, again, I'm going to be sort of messing around with the rankings after I post this video. Make sure you check it out. Patreon.com slash Ron Stewart. I have my top 200 PPR and half PPR rankings live on there. It's a nice little cheat sheet where you have like a checkoff list. You can print it out. You can use it online. Uh, you can make a copy of it on Google Sheets or whatever. And I also have like my projected or my target rounds for each player. So when you're in your draft room, I sort of made these as like in a vacuum. If I had to take a player and I take them in this round, I would feel good about it, right? There's some players like James Conner in the sixth round would feel disgusting. But James Conner, I think in my rankings would have him as like an eighth round target. So like in the eighth round, you take James Conner there, that's fine. So I at least sort of can guide you through the draft there. And then I also have the dead zone running backs pushed all the way down to like the green zone and like the round seven area. We're pushing up the wide receiver profiles, making sure that you're drafting structurally sound as well as, you know, player A versus player B sort of stuff. Now on top of that on patreon.com slash Ron Stewart, you can find that link in the description and comment section down below. But on top of that, you're going to get uh, my waiver wire article where weekly I'm giving out weekly uh, waiver wire recommendations, fab recommendations. You get my rest of season rankings. You get my weekly rankings. Every Sunday I do a Patreon exclusive start sit stream to make sure you get your lineups right for Sunday. So if you want to crush your league on all fronts, check out the Patreon. But if not, I appreciate all likes, subscribes, views. You guys have been absolutely killer these past, this past like week. The algorithm's been crazy. You guys have been crazy. And if we're going to keep blowing up videos and everything, I'm going to keep grinding for you guys. I'm going to literally post this video and then hop on a stream tonight because we are streaming every single day from now through kickoff. I am not missing a day. Nobody's going to grind harder than me in August. I am August. And as always, I will see you guys in the next one. Like the 
Fuck this false, ice cold, oh oh